Deborah Craddock, a podcast where we sit down with everyday Americans and hear their extraordinary stories. I'm your host, Deborah Drucker. Come along with me as we discuss those things that we were always told not to talk about politics, religion, and more. I promise you'll be inspired and have your mind opened by the end of this episode. Well, it was kind of cold that night. She stood alone on the balcony Yeah, she could hear the cars roll by Out on 441 Like waves crashing on the beach Hello everyone and welcome to Deborah Craddock. Today on Deborah Craddock, we will be getting to know Francisco Pancho Cohen. Pancho is a Navy captain, an artist, a gallery director, a husband, a pet parent to Harriet, and one totally awesome guy. Let's find out how Poncho became the man he is sitting with us today. How you doing, Poncho? I'm doing great, Debbie. Thank you for having me. Where are you originally from, Poncho? So I was born in uh, Venezuela, in a town called Ciudad Bolivar, uh, Venezuela. and um, But I grew up in El Paso, Texas. And who did you grow up with in El Paso? So uh, I grew up with my mom. Uh, she was an you know an American citizen. She had met my father at uh, he was at grad school at a at a college uh, in El Paso, Texas, and they got married. And for her, getting married to him it was a it was a way out, right? That, that's a very common story, especially with a young woman at the time. You feel trapped, you want out, you know, you don't know how to do it. So she met this foreign guy. She married him. She she went moved to Venezuela. Uh, she was there for seven years. She had me and my sister. Oh, but she was already an American citizen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then she went to Venezuela because of the man. Right. 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 Okay. And it, it like a, a part of it is to get out of El Paso. Right. Like El Paso was a is a still a small town. Even at a million strong, it feels like a small town. Right. Like I don't know how you do it in El Paso because it, um, anytime something would happen, like a car accident on the freeway and it was on the, on the front page of the paper, my mom would read the, the article and be like, oh no, that's Guillermo Wilhelmina's son. You know, she, you, it's that kind of town where you just know everybody wow. and everyone's related to you or you, you grew up with them or something like that. So I very much understand the, the impulse to just get out. You know, because um, I had the same impulse when I was 17. So is she Venezuelan descent or? No, she's uh, Chicana. Her parents are both from, originate in Mexico. I, I don't know how long, in the, like two, three generations ago, but American for several generations now. So your father was first generation American or, or Venezuelan? Venezuelan, always. He lived and died in Venezuela. He brought an American wife home. You know, she was the she was the the Americana. People have this misunderstanding. They think that being Americana means like being blonde and blue eyed or, or wet out or something, and that's not really the case. It's not. It's never been the case as far as I where I've been. Right? Mm-hmm. Like I grew up in El Paso, Texas, and 
Like, I honestly didn't realize I was a minority until I got <laughs> to boot camp. Wow. And in boot camp, like, all of a sudden, like, I was, like, one of ten people who, who spoke Spanish in, in my company, right? You have to understand where I came from in El Paso. Like, every mo everyone's mom's name was Maria. Everyone's last name ended in a Z. It was Alvarez, Martinez, Valdez, right? <laughs> Um, and everyone was Catholic, and that's just the way it was. And so, like, when I get to boot camp, and like that's no longer the case, I'm, I, I was like a little bit like shocked. I was like, <laughs> oh my god, like I didn't think you were serious. Yeah. Well, we're gonna get to how you served this country, and I wanted to thank you for your service. Growing up with your mom, did you have siblings? I did. I had a sister. Uh, she's a year older than me. And later on, when I was much older, 15, I had a, a younger brother. And do you stay in touch with both siblings? Yep, very tight with both of them. Nice. What was that home life like? It was it was very you know standard, right? Like I was like in in where I'm from. Um, I was a little principe, I was a little prince, right? Like, because I was male, right? My sister, who was just a year older than me, she's the one that had to wash the dishes, do the laundry, do all the hustle, and I could sit on the couch and read a book, right? And was that simply because she was older or because she was female? I, I Probably both, right? right. Um, the Because she wasn't that much older. She was like, <laughs> like if a 10-year-old if a can wash a dish, so can a 9-year-old, right? Okay. You know, <laughs> so... so. Okay, and being that your mom was, you know, multi-generational American, were politics discussed or did politics play a role at all in your home? So the, the first time I remember anything having to do with politics, I think I was like in fourth or maybe fifth grade, and it was a presidential election, and it was Dukakis versus um, Reagan, I guess? I think it was Dukakis-Reagan. Yeah. Yes. And I remember my mom was very much a Dukakis supporter. And it was around the time the Willie Horton ad, and it was very controversial. And we, we only understood it the way that, that, that fourth graders, fifth graders understand it, which is like you kind of obliquely hear about it. You don't know what any of it's about. But like I definitely know that my mom was a, uh, on the Dukakis' So, supporter, yeah. So more liberal. Sure. Even though a Catholic household. Yes. Okay. Not not raised Catholic. Okay. So my mom had the experience that she was raised Catholic, and she gave it up very, very early. Like, um, if you go into a Catholic church, there's a lot of statues of saints and a lot of— and when you're a little kid, if you don't really understand it, it can be scary, right? Like, there's this, like, dude bleeding on a— <laughs> like, on a, like, and there's holes and there's these people crying or whatever, statues of it, Right. So she very early on decided she didn't want any part of it. She, uh, here and there, she had some moments where she, you know, tried being Baptist or Seventh-day Adventist or different flavors of Christian. Never really took. The family overall was mostly affiliated with the Democratic Party then, you think? Yes, I think so, yeah. And as far as religion, do you remember embracing it yourself or having any identity to a religion? No, not particularly. Um, it was um, it was a thing. Like, I understood it, right? Like, I went to Sunday school. Like, I've read the Bible. Like, I get it. <laughs> um, it didn't, it never, for me, it never really landed. Okay. Never, yeah. All right. And today, what do you feel about faith or spirituality? Or so, I, I got to say, I respect it, right? Like, they're, they're, life is really hard. And people are dealing with a lot of stuff. And if they've got to tell 
themselves a story that lets them get through the night, right? If they got to say, oh, God has me here and it's part of a plan or whatever, and that's what helps them get through that moment, I'm all about it. Who, who am I to tell them to shake them loose? Who am I? Like, that's not my job, right? right. I remember one time I had an aunt um, and she was having a very hard time in her life. Like her oldest son had gotten in trouble with the law. Um, her and her husband had to had lost the house on his bail. And like, it was a very difficult moment. But she was always very religious. And she she was very, you know, oh, God, you know, God wants me to do this. God is, you know, it's a, it's a moment. God is testing us. And I, that's when I realized that she needed it. Mm. She really needed that story. Like, yeah, it helped that, 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 yeah, it helped her. Hey, if it provides what you need to get through, I, I'm fully behind it. I think religion used properly is a beautiful thing. Sure. I think it's uh, misguided sometimes and uh, misused absolutely. and abused. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so you are more just than a spiritual person or? Um, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even describe it that much. Okay. Uh, it's a, the, the only thing agnostic maybe is a word I'd use. I, there's a lot of smart people, smarter than me, who've tried to figure it out, and they haven't they haven't figured it out, and I'm I'm not about to <laughs> figure it out when they couldn't. So it's cool. So I'm gonna assume politics, religion, really played little to no role in the career you chose right. going forward, right. and we're going to get to that career. Yeah. Um, I know that you are an openly gay man. Sure. Yeah. And you are married now to the famed fashion designer, Peter Cohen. Absolutely. And going back to the childhood of that, what was it like to come out in, in your family? So what happened is when I was young, I signed up for the military 17 and I was out. I was out of El Paso, out of, I was gone, right? So uh, it was, it, it, it kind of gave me the space to figure out my sexuality. I, a lot of people need some time. They, they know something's different, but they don't know quite what and they're, they're figuring it out and that takes some time. So by being away from my family, it gave me the space and it gave me the time to figure out what, what my deal was. What happened is when I came out to my mom, like she made it all about herself and it's because of me, it's because of something that I did. And I was like, like, I didn't know how to, how to <laughs> convey that, like, this isn't about you. It's about like me. It's how I want to live my life. And so anyway, I remember coming out to my family. The only thing that she had asked me to do is to please not tell my aunts, my grandmother, that she would tell them, right? Just leave it to me. You don't see them. You're never home. You're always, you know, off somewhere. I'll tell them. And uh, what happened is it 10 years, for 10 years, I would go home for holidays. And it'd be, the, oh, how is it? What, are you dating anyone? Is there a girlfriend for 10 years? Oh, she hid it from she, them for 10 years. For 10 years. And finally, I was like, look, mom, like, <laughs> like I'm, I'm sick of it. Like, you've had 10 years and you still haven't done it. So it is what it is. It's never going to be any different. We can be very hard with the people that we love. Right. Right? It's, well, because you know they love you. Is it, do you think that's what it I is? I do. Yeah? I do. I think it's a safe place. Um, maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Yeah. I think uh, people you question if they love you, you're more afraid to be real because they might leave. The that's I, my opinion. Uh, uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. So I, you were hard on her, or she was, was hard on you? No, I was hard on. I was hard, both both ways. She was a 
I, I love my mom. She was very good to me. She she brought me up to be the person I am today. But she could be a very difficult woman, right? right. Like, I've got, <laughs> I've got, I, well, and also being from the culture that she was, though she was American, she was still culturally a Hispanic woman, right? And Catholic, and it's probably something she didn't really know how to deal with, you know? Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so how, how did it play out? I remember I was finishing up my training in Balsam Spa, New York. And um, I was going to be stationed in Pearl Harbor, which I was a smart kid. Sorry to cut, cut in here. Were you always aspiring to join the military? Was this something that you knew as a kid or was this, how did you find no, it? How did it find you? No, absolutely not. Like it was a way out, right? I said earlier how like my mom wanted a way out of El Paso. I was, when I was 17, I wanted the same thing. I was that story you'd, you've heard a million times, right? Smart kid, bright kid. Didn't have a lot of resources. If I had stayed in El Paso, I'm telling, I'm here to tell you, I would be like managing a gas station right now. With <laughs> I just think innately that you have drive, though. The you but figure the it out, right? right. The like the opportunity is important, right? Like right. drive is great, but if the opportunity is not there, so what happened is 17 graduating school, um, the military pops up, right? Like uh, this guy. That I was working with, he he joined the military, and I was and I was like, I'm looking for a way out, and I'm like, oh, what's this military thing? And listen, because I'm gay, like the guy was good looking, right? And, <laughs> and I was like, huh, like, well, the good looking guys are joining, like over here. Let me see what this is about. But uh, so it was definitely a motivating factor. But um, yeah, and that's how I got uh, involved with the Navy. Okay, so you say you found yourself and your sexuality at about 17? Uh, earlier, for sure. Earlier, yeah, but yeah. that's when you really yeah. knew this is... Right, 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 okay. right. Yeah. And so when you decide to go, were you a little bit fearful of like any hate on the gays in the military or that you'd be the odd man out in the scene there? Or? No, absolutely Because there's been not. so much like... Gays in the military, yay. No gays in the military, no. You know, it, yeah. it's so contrary. I, I don't even know where it's at as the overall mindset out there. In my experience, it's been a lot of hype about nothing. Like, there's a lot of... Gay people have always been in the military. They just Ooh. have. The only reason it's in hiding is it's, like, empowering, like, this small, loudmouth group who want to say... They want to pretend that they speak for everybody, and they don't. And there's not enough motivation for the people who don't agree with them to to say anything against them. They just they just want to go to work. They just want to do their job and go home. They're not there to fix the world. They're not there to like, you know, so they let these loud mouths, you know, run off. And everyone gets the mistaken impression that, oh, like the whole military is this way. No, like it's absolutely is not. Good like, to know. Yeah. And so you're you're now in New York after this cute guy says, hey, I'm joining the military. And you're like, wow, I want to check out the military. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then take it from there. I didn't have the resources to go to college, right? Or the, the ones I wanted to. So I figured out like the Navy was there for me. And it was always, that was always how I was going to get to college. Going to the college was like an important thing for me. Being educated was super important to me. Um, I'm in the military I, I, because I'm a bright kid. I started off as a mechanic, uh, so repairing bells and that kind of stuff. And then because I was, uh, you know, I qualified and I had some brains on me or whatever, they, they took me to another level beyond that, to something called engineering lab tech. But it takes a lot of training. You have to understand a lot, you know, like, and so that's what I was doing in Boston Spa for like the Navy trained me for a good two years, teaching me how to do that 
before they could deploy me to the fleet. So that's what I was doing in Boston Spa. Um, and where was the first deployment? Uh, first deployment was, well, the first uh, duty station was Pearl Harbor. And when I deployed, it was a Westpac. So um, my first duty station, I was assigned to a fast attack uh, submarine out of Pearl Harbor. It was great. It was a great submarine. Uh, deployed with them. We did a Westpac. Um, so what a Westpac is, is like the, the U.S. Navy it's in our interest to maintain a military presence in, in different parts of the world. So they make it a point to deploy like ships, you know. To uh, the Western care, Pacific. To the Western Pacific, Got to it. the Med, to like uh, places you want to show strength, right? Like we're monitoring these waterways. We're showing, you know, we can, if something happens, we can act, right? We're prepared to act. We're trained to act. And it's a, it's a show of force. And it's, it's part of what leads to security in the world. The, I think it's important that we are prepared. Sure. I, I mean, I do, just being an American girl. No, it, you're right. There are other things that we can do, right? Like military industrial complex, right? Like that part of it, that there's a scam and it's real. And it's a money-making machine that people have gotten their hooks in and figured out a way to like scam money out of the government. Oh, to buy to buy equipment, uh, buy equipment that's never going to be used, buy, like, airplanes that are never going to, you know. The point of it is just really to, like, spend U.S. money to, like, build the taxpayers. There, there's a lot of corruption, right, like, involved with it. Like, I, I think the Afghanistan war, right, 20 years, right, that whole thing was a scam. It was scamming the U.S. taxpayer. And you went to Afghanistan. I did. I was deployed to Afghanistan in 2011. During battle. Uh, yeah, I was deployed to Bagram. Afghanistan's a big war, right? The, all the military services have to figure out a way to participate, right? Like, that's, that's where the action is. How, did, how is it? Well, the problem for the Navy was Afghanistan was a landlocked country, right? So what role really is there for the Navy to play? Uh, the opportunity uh, arose when the U.S. Army messed up the uh, prison part of the mission, right? I don't know if you remember Abu Ghraib when they were abusing prisoners and they, was, they were like stripping them naked and piling them on each other. And there was like these pictures and they were just playing with like these people. So a worldwide scandal. It was like really oh, shameful. Yes. Because the U.S. Army flubbed that mission so bad. That was the U.S. Navy's opportunity to get in on it, right? So they deployed a bunch of military companies who took over that mission, right? And um, they, you know, it was it was running prisons. You you took care of Taliban prisoners and and like you know, made sure that they were secure, right? And that they weren't so harming somewhat people. humanitarian. Uh, no, not at no. all. Like oh, it was, yeah. it was. It, there was a real mix of people in that cell, right? Like there was there was really bad guys who were pl planning IEDs and harming soldiers and allied troops. But at the same time, there was like farmers that were all crammed in there together. There was someone else's mission, right, who was to, whose job it was to figure out which was which, which was the bad guy and which was the farmer, right? And that was long and involved and a lot of interrogating and, and so on and so forth. What the Navy did and what, what I was, I was a company camp commander for a military police company in Afghanistan. Um, I was stationed outside of Bagram. Um, and uh, we did that mission. And it was, it was stressful for sailors. It wasn't, it wasn't easy for anybody. It certainly wasn't easy for the prisoners involved. But, like, it was part of the 
gig, right? Could you just formulate a system where you segregate the hard criminals from the... You you figure it out, right? Yeah. Like, we're not dumb. They're not dumb. But, you know, you, you figure out eventually, like, which, which are the real key players and which ones aren't, right? That the problem is that there's no real way, once they're in the system, it's very much like the U.S. jail system. Once you're in the system, there's no way out. There's no way to, like, once they're, that farmer's in the cell, what are you going to do? Like, are you going to let them out? Like, did they get radicalized while they were in, in there with the, the other? Like, what do you do now, right? Are you just going to leave them in the cell for 20 years? Like, like this is just some dude that was, like, plowing a field one time. So your feeling on Afghanistan as a whole for 20 years is what? Scam. Absolute scam. Like, it, it's really... It was unnecessary. I remember I was in Afghanistan when they announced the news that uh, Osama bin Laden had been shot, you know, had been neutralized, right? And there was so much, like, uh, party. I remember because we, we watched, they, we had access to the news and they, they were showing news on, like, CNN and, like, everything about, like, people, like, dancing in the streets, right? They were climbing uh, uh, light poles in New York. And it was so, like, I don't know. It was just so, like, depressing. And what I mean by that is, like, I, under no circumstances, am arguing the fact that Osama bin Laden was a bad guy and needed to be dealt with, right? Like, there are some dogs that are just too mean and they need to be put down. But at the end of the day, it's murder, right? You're you're deciding to murder somebody. And that's not a thing to celebrate. That's not a thing to to be doing cartwheels in the street about. That's not a thing to no. That's even that's, though it's they a, took down the twin towers. It doesn't. It's a really heavy thing that somebody had to do, right? And that that was a difficult thing. It's not to be doing cartwheels about, right? Taking out a dictator. Yeah, yeah. Supreme like supreme leader. It, yeah. It's just another I just, I, human, you just look at it as another human life. It's another human life, right? Like, and, and the biblical injunction is thou shalt not kill. Right. It doesn't say thou shalt not kill sometimes or like unless you don't really like the guy or like, no, it says thou shalt not kill, What period. about an eye for an eye? Uh, the, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Um, killing is killing. Right. So was that, did you see a lot of killing while you no, were serving? No, it, it wasn't really like part of the mission that I was involved in, um, uh, which is fine with me. But uh, you knew that that, yeah, that was obviously part of the job. A part of the job, yeah. yeah. I mean, you're deployed to a, a war zone, right? You, you've, you're carrying your firearms, right? You've got, <laughs> you've, you've got one in your, in your hands, right? You've got one like strapped to, to your thigh. Right, they're deadly tools. They they go off. They need to be maintained. Right, you you have negligent discharges all the time. I remember one time, one one sailor had a gun. Who um, he got up right in his uh, in his little room that he was staying in, where he was reading a book or whatever. Decided to go up and go to the bathroom. By the time he got back, the bullet had shot through the wall like into the pillow. If he hadn't gone to the bathroom, like he, he would have gotten a bullet in the head. And it wasn't some like Afghani that was taking pot shots at him. It was this, it was the, the soldier in the next room over who had dropped his gun or like, and it had gone off without him wanting to. And it was like a, a complete accident, wow. but people don't understand or that firearms are real like weapons. They yes. will kill. So you were in the Navy for 10 years. 10 years, yeah. And were you, as a young person, were you always a very disciplined kid? 
Or um, did this give you the discipline you never had? I, I was a very serious kid. I think what the Navy did is it gave me discipline and ways to, to route that seriousness. It was very easy, right? Someone told you what to do and you just did it. And if you did it well enough, you would eventually go go to the next level, right? Not a lot of thinking involved, not a lot of like having to negotiate, at least at the lower ranks, right? Like the, they tell you to go chip some paint, like on a wall, you go and chip some paint, right? And you don't. <laughs> but I think it's it's more, I'm just being honest with you here, Debbie. Like it was never about patriotism. It was never about a, an American flag. It wasn't for, for me and for a lot of people in the military. It's about getting out of where they're from, right? right? They're there. It's a hard scrabble life. They're trying, they're trying their best. They don't have any other opportunities and they, they turn to the military. It was true for me. It's true for a lot of people. Um, it was an opportunity. It's an opportunity. Okay. Um, and they're coming from communities that they don't have opportunities. So they're, they're, they're going for it. And how do you feel about the American flag today and your country? Uh, listen, like, I, I, I love this country. I think this country is amazing. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity here, but there's a lot of abuse. And I'm very clear-eyed about it, right? Like, there's no, I'm not going to sit here and whitewash everything and say everything's hunky-dory because it's not, right? We can do a lot better. I expect people to, to be a lot better. It's possible. We have to decide to be. We know what the solutions are. We have to decide to do them. Right. I agree with you. Um, I wanted to know, so when you're, when you're now in the military, do you have like a role model or do you, who, 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 who was your role model at that point? If you had one, uh, there's a like at every command, there's a there's a there's a guy who's like really got like got it all like figured out, and you want to be like them. They're like really motivating, like ah, oh, like like that guy is amazing. I want to be like that guy, right? Um, but I was gay in the military at a time when don't ask, don't tell. Like I think I was I was very inauthentic, right? Because there there's parts of you that you had to like hide if you wanted to keep your job, if you wanted to stay on the you know the because they were like hardcore, man. Like people would like like get drummed out like at the drop of a hat. And like I needed this job. Right. I needed this out. I couldn't go back to El Paso, right? It was just too small town for you, huh? Too small town. I couldn't I couldn't so I I'm an artist today. If I was an artist in El Paso, I'd starve to death in the streets. Not because people don't appreciate art, like it's it's hard living, you know, people have to raise their kids, people have to raise, pay rent. They don't have a lot of leftover to to do anything else, right? right. To buy pretty art. To, to buy pretty art, yeah. yeah. What keeps your spirit and what keeps you going? There's like an unreal sense of myself. I know exactly who I am. I know exactly what I would do and the extent that I'll go to and I won't go any further. And again, I thank you for your service because I, you know, I really honor and respect those in the service. I'm grateful for that. Where do you go from here? Now you've, you've gotten out of El Paso. Right. You've got some kind of training that you're going to you're able to implement out in the real world sure and what what happens so i'm getting out and i'm getting close to 30 right you know like and i'm i'm been in the navy for a long time and i'm getting close to 30 and i'm like look you know uh it's time to sit down and have some real conversations with yourself like what is it that you want this life to be and for me i'd always had an interest in art i'd never done anything about it i'd never acted on it and I remember telling myself, look, like, if you're going to do it, 
Now's the time to do it, right? And if you're not going to do it, I never want to hear you like anything about it again. Like in your life, like put it out of your life forever. Were you creative? Like, yeah, it, yeah. So it was already like, in there. Yeah, it was already in there. I'd always, um, I remember my mom said that when I was in kindergarten, the teacher had called her aside and said, look, you know, like your kid, when we do art projects, like all the other kindergartners do, like when they're doing stick figures, but your kid, and she showed, <laughs> she showed what I was doing. I was doing like real figures, like the <laughs> bodies, like, and this was the clothes that we're wearing. And it's like, look, this is, this is different than what the other kids are doing, right? You need to do something about this. Like, this is something that should be developed. And uh, bless my mom. She, you know, uh, no opportunity, lack of opportunity. She was a single mom, didn't have resources, you know, the same old, same old story you get bored of hearing. Like, I get bored of telling it, you know? I came to Los Angeles, had some friends from when, when I was at UCLA. I got there, I started taking some classes around town. First night classes at Art Center. I very much recommend the extension program at Art Center if you want to be an artist. Art Center in Pasadena. In Pasadena, California. yeah. Um, from there, I went to the actual Art Center, and that was great. And it was, you know, it was fantastic. And um, it was very expensive, though. Uh, it's part of the reason that I went to Afghanistan. I needed tuition money. To get that tuition money was to join the Naval Reserves. And um, at the time, they were looking for people to go serve in Afghanistan, right? Like, nobody wanted to deploy. I volunteered for deployment. Please, me, me, take me. Um, <laughs> no fear? No fear. None, none. Like, it's never occurred to me to, like, you just, the job is there. You do it. So I was wondering where you met your husband. Did you meet in New York? No, we met in L.A. in that time when I was doing the art center thing. And I was, like, you know, uh, met him. He was, he was good. He was good to me. And he's, he's, I, I really love Peter because he stood by me through all these, like, when I come home and say, baby, I'm, yeah, I, I come home and say, baby, I'm going to Afghanistan. He's all like, all right. <laughs> you're going to hey, baby. I come home and I'm like, hey, baby, I'm going to New York. And he's like, all right, you're going to. <laughs> he's, he, he's been very supportive and very understanding and he gets it, right? He gets so that. So is he, would you consider him um, one of the most influential people in your life right now? Absolutely. The the absolute love of my life. Um, the He's so important to me. He's so good to me. He, uh, when, even when I'm not good, like he, he, <laughs> he reserves uh, some grace for me. And he's, he's, he's one of the only people that can bring me out of myself, which I very much appreciate. He's just an amazing person. Yeah. I'm so glad you guys found each other. And how many years now married? Uh, we have been together for 15 years. We've been married for four. Um, and what year was that? When, how long ago? I was about, let's see, 2018. Oh, okay. Um, like, I didn't know where I was, right? I wasn't very stable. And I said, look, you know, I don't know if you want to be with me. You've got, you're, you've got a lot of stuff going on. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Let's just see how it goes. And then, but I, I did tell him it was very important to me to get married. And I, and I said... Look, you know, if we get engaged, right, you don't have to marry me right away. We'll take a, a good five years to decide. You still have an out, right? <laughs> like, it's only an engagement. If, you don't, if you're not into it, you're not into it. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to say my feelings won't be hurt, but, like, I'll get it, right? You have to make the right decision for you. I'll make the right decision for me. So we got engaged. We're in that moment, in that five-year period, and I'm, like, really sweating it. I'm, like, because we're getting at the end of the five years, and I'm, like, part of me is, like... 
Is he going to go for it? Is he going to jump ship? Like, and it, why so important to get married? Because it's a it's a stability. It's a it's a partner. It's a person. You know the person that you're going to go home to. You know there, there's a big part of your life that's settled once you're married. And the energy that goes to that part of your life, you can now direct it to something else, right? You can now so direct it to... So you do feel it's, it's, it's a greater commitment than just being... Oh, I absolutely. Yeah. And because it, some people say, oh, what's the difference? You know, um, but I, I'm what do you, you think about I, it? I've been married for, what am I, 34 years now. So, wow. yeah, I felt like it was, it's a little bit harder just to walk away from a marriage, I think, yeah. than just having a relationship. I don't know why. It's just something a little more binding or absolutely the next level of commitment. I, yeah. I know the reason that And we, I love it. I, isn't it great? I love being married. Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I think we're very lucky. We have good partners. I, Beyond the, good partners. Yeah. Really kind. So the, anyway, so the five years coming. Five years coming. I'm like, oh, I'm squatting. <laughs> Is it going to happen? I don't know. Um, so he comes through. He pulls through. Like one of the reasons that we really got married, and this is kind of a downer, is like both our moms, right? Like his mom was um, advancing in age and ailing. And my mom at that point had developed cancer and been dealing with cancer for a, uh, a couple of years. And I was like, babe, look, I don't care about anything else. The only thing I care about, like when I get married, I want our moms to be there. Like, right. so they're both here right now. If we're gonna do it, let's do let's let's make it happen right now. And he what was a good boy you are. No, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only thing I care about. Like, you know. And so we did. We went, our mom my mom happened to be in town and we went and got married at the courthouse and had a backyard wedding and his his brother made, you know, South African sausages, because my husband's from South Africa. My mom made enchiladas. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> what a confluence of things. Yeah. Um, how wonderful. And yeah. so today, what are you concerned about these people trying to push back on gay rights and, and LGBTQ rights? It's such a scam, man. Oh, my God. Like these, these conservatives, they, you know what it is? It's a lack of ideas, right? They don't have any ideas on how to improve people's lives, right? People out there have real problems, right? Like the opioid epidemic, you know, rent going through the roof, like, you know, inflation, right? Like someone's $50,000 at like a 7% interest rate for a car loan? What? Like that's ridiculous. But because these Republicans, these conservatives have no real ideas on how to fix these things, they go for the easy stuff. And the easy stuff is to go for the drag queen with the crazy hair. So and is that just to divert the attention? Or yes, to- it's, a, it's a way to motivate their base and a, a way to, they're not serious. None of it, none of it is, I don't think um, Republicans or conservatives rather are bad people. What I think is they're being dishonest, right? Like, and listen, we've all lied to ourselves. So like, I'm, I'm here to tell you, I've lied to my, myself 10,000 times. But conservatives are lying to themselves. This country has real problems. And it's climate change, for example. Oh, yeah. Like, that stuff is happening, whether you want it to or not. And this whole drag queen distraction is not helping anybody. It's not doing anything. The only thing is, is it's marshalling their base, getting them to their elections, 
Um, and it's a scam. It's, it's a, just, it's painful to watch yeah. for me. I think we, in the gay community, we have to be careful of being complacent. Even though it is a scam, even though like I think they're being completely dishonest, they have the real ability and intent to ruin people's lives and they will. And so if the gay community, if um, allies become complacent or think it doesn't have anything to do with them, it's, it's coming for you. It's coming for the people that you love. So if you have gay people in your life that you love, that you're friends with, don't delude yourself and think that, oh, it's not going to happen to them because it will happen to them. Well, you know, it's that old saying, first they came for the... Right, then right, they came the unionists for and the, the social... Yeah. And then they came for me. Yeah. So, yeah, it's frightening. We have a real problem with guns. Right. You are a person who clearly knows how to use a weapon. Sure. And how do you feel about these semi-automatic weapons out there in the hands of people who are unequipped, <laughs> mentally possibly deranged? Right. What, the, I, I, what like, do you feel about that? First off, um, like guns should not be a part of anyone's life, right? They're dangerous weapons. Um, they, I don't choose to have weapon. I uh, have a weapon. I've lived in a lot of dangerous neighborhoods, right? A lot of areas you don't want to go into. I've never felt the need to carry a weapon ever. Uh, having weapons, having guns is a lot of work, right? If you're going to have a gun, you need to use it. You need to take it to the gun range and like fire it off. You need to clean it. You need to maintain it. It's a lot of work. People don't have the the time in their lives. They don't have the inclination. They don't have the money to to maintain these weapons. So if you're not being responsible in that in that way, you're not serious about gun rights. You're not serious about guns. You should not, under any circumstances, have a gun in your hand. Mm -hmm. uh, guns will kill. They will kill you. They'll kill your 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 own family members. They'll kill like. People are more likely to die at the hands of weapons at, the, at their own family members than any intruder in the street. Did you ever consider raising children yourself? I would love to raise children personally. Like, it's always something that I, I wanted to do. Peter is not on board. And, you know, because we're a partnership, we have to respect each other's wishes. Like, I'll have to, um, he just doesn't want kids that's okay you know i mean yeah. everybody's got a right to their you know feelings and wants sure did you know that going into the marriage um we had talked about it and i you know thankfully i'm i've got a lot of younger people in my life anyway like i've got nieces uh, cousins i've got lots of cousins and they have a lot of young kids and so and you're close with your nieces I am, you know, I'm blessed that way, sure. Good. So yeah. you, you get to have that youth in your life, which is nice. Which is... And, and being yeah, know, I think it's impressionable important. to them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So if they're a little narrow-minded, you can maybe open their mind. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's funny because I've got a niece now who's who's on a track. She's become very religious. And I don't know where Beautiful it came from. Beautiful for her, though, if it's, that's what, if that's what she elevates her and, yeah, exactly. and keeps her on the right path. Exactly. And I just don't know what to do with it <laughs> other than give her the space, you know, to, she needs it. She wants, she wants to be with religious. With her religion, does homophobia play a part? I, she hasn't mentioned anything to me, but I suspect there's a, there's a lot, there's some of that in there. I hope that she has a presence of mind to, to separate that out, but she might not, you know, okay, I'll, I'll deal with it when it happens. Right. 
And so what's the next move with the art? I know you are directing this new gallery. Right. Tell us about the gallery. So about a year ago, Peter came back from South Africa and he said, we're opening a space, right? Like it's at the end of the COVID uh, thing. It's time for things to change. What was working before isn't working so well today. I spent about a year um, directing the gallery, putting together shows, uh, going on studio visits, meeting people, meeting artists, meeting you know collectors, other gallerists. What it's really done for me, apart from like running this amazing space um, that has great shows and like great events that we put on, like it's really taught me as an artist what a gallery's looking for, right? Like it's not it's not enough to be beautiful, right? Now you got to sell it, right? Like what do you and it's made me really mercenary, even with my own art. Like, like I've got some paintings that I love. I did a really good job. You know, they've, they've been on the wall for five years. They haven't moved. It's time to paint over them, do something else, like get rid of them and make room. I'm dying to see your gallery with your art on the walls. Is it's, that coming? <laughs> it's coming. It's coming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, are you working on that collection now, that series? Yeah. So did your mom get to see you as a fully formed artist or had she passed you? She, no, she did. She, you know, you know how moms are like anything that you do, she's like your number one fan. And so even when I was doing the worst, like, you know, like I didn't know how to draw, I didn't know how to like use paint properly. She loved it. She'd never seen anything better. Like, oh my God, everyone look at this. It's so like amazing. Uh, my number one fan, so. Yeah. And I know you stay close with Peter's dad. Yes, yes. He's, he's still here. He's, and he's still here. And your father? What happened? Uh, he passed away um, from cancer also, um, maybe about 20 years ago now. Okay. It's kind, of put me, it's kind of put me on notice, right? Like both my parents have passed on cancer. You're such an optimist and you have such a beautiful outlook. I really think a mind is this powerful thing and positivity is a it's it's medicinal yeah. positivity. What hobbies do you both enjoy together? Uh, so traveling is a big deal. We we went to Italy last year. Um, this year we'll be going to Cape Town, where Peter's from, um, and New York. Um, so because the gallery is still in its nascent stages, it's still coming up online. I have to spend a lot of time nursing it. Right. So my my ability to travel is a little bit limited at the moment, but I'll get two weeks here and there. I go back to Texas all the time to, to see my brother. I saw something in your history of San Antonio. You did, Oh, you I, got some, um, uh, yeah, some, it was, I was a, you feature, were a featured artist. Yeah. Featured artist at an arts festival there called Luminaria. I do. So when I do my work, um, it's usually organized around the thing. Do you know that writer Studs Terkel? Oh yes. I love Studs Terkel. That's, he's my inspiration. Uh, isn't he amazing? I mean, because he ran, he, he was so, uh, on the road hearing people's stories. Uh, yeah. I absolutely love that. That's- so it also a big influence on me in my art, right? Like, so when I very much like Stud Circle, like he organizes books around a theme. So when I do a work, I'll organize around a theme. And um, in San Antonio, it was about like, what's it like to be in San Antonio? What does that mean to live in San Antonio? So I, I, I paint... Uh, 30 portraits in 30 days. It's very word of mouth, very organic. I'll paint one person and I'll say, hey, do you know anyone else? And they'll they'll like, oh, yeah, my friend, you know, uh, Nacho might be into it or whatever. It's like what I do with my podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and so what happens is you get a view of San Antonio 
across 30 portraits. Like these are the people that live there. This is what they do. This is what they, how they feel about. Diverse. Yeah. Diverse ethnically, diverse economically. Or is it kind of monotone? And and I think it's it's a more accurate portrait of San Antonio because at a glance you see everything that's going on and text gets incorporated into the work. You know, I I always um, I always ask people to to think of it as a blessing from themselves to themselves. I ask them to think like what what are the words that you tell yourself to get through the next day there, there's days when no one gives a shit people just don't care right like and and you're going through a really hard thing and like when that moment happens what do you tell yourself to get up and do it again right and so they'll give me an answer and it goes into their piece right as a halo around them and i tell them look th- I, I don't know when you're going to see this painting again we might never uh, meet again and that's fine but I want you to, th- if you ever do run into this painting again, I want you to remember that there was a moment when this was enough to get you out of bed and get you onto the next moment. And you might be in a moment in your life when you, you're having a really, really hard time, but maybe if you see this one little frame, you'll remember, and maybe it'll be enough to get you to, to the next I love it. The next point. How inspirational. Yeah. That's really awesome. And well wow. need it. And do on. do any of these people, do you ever follow up with them and say, hey, here's that portrait or check it out? You know, from time to time, I'm actually, I told you opening the gallery has made me very mercenary. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm at the point now where like I keep these paintings of the idea I was going to show them in a group show or something. And I have done that in the past, but I think I'm ready to let them go. So... Probably what I'll do in the next few months is reach out to people if I still can find them, their contact information, ask them, do you want your painting? If And if they don't, that's fine. Like, I'll just paint over it and make new work, you know? Right. And I wanted to just ask you a couple more questions and, and then set you free to go paint away. And that would be, how do you feel or do you feel anything about the political landscape in America today? I got to tell you, I, I knew this question was coming up, and I don't. It's so divisive, right? Like, and I don't, I don't know what to do about it. I got some bad news yesterday. I had a friend who um, we were good friends. There was a moment in her life. She was a friend of Peter's mom, so she was an older woman. We were very tight. She had some stuff, and I was helping. She had a fall, and I was helping her around and taking her to doctor's appointments and stuff because she had no one else, right? I'm so sorry about bad news. She was an elderly woman. She lived by herself. We got into it about politics, right? She was a big—she listened to Dennis Prager. She was a big Trump supporter, everything like that. We, she was feisty and I was feisty, (laughs) and we had a bad falling out, and she stopped talking to me over it. Because I felt bad because I knew her situation every once in a while. I'd call up and check in. Hey, how are you doing? Just kind of seeing if you need anything. And she said, well, you found out I was still alive and and I'm still here. I don't need anything from you. And she'd hang hang up on me. Like really, like rudely. It was like, okay, no problem, whatever. I found out that I was walking. uh, She's a neighbor of mine, right? I was walking my dog yesterday for no reason. Harriet decided wanted to cross the street in this direction. And I was like, you never go in that direction. Why do you want to go? I don't know what it's about. Let's go anyway. Uh, we cross the street. I'm walking by her house. I see there's a for sale sign. 
that's bad news. I do some quick Googling. I find her obituary. Oh, shit. And it was a real, like, blow. Number one, because she was a good person, right? Even though she didn't believe what I believe politically and, and any of that, I knew that she was a good person. But politics had gotten in the way of, of like, our friendship. And um, it just, like, kind of broke my heart because those last moments in her life, she could have really use somebody to sit there and like hold her hand going through this really difficult thing but the politics had gotten in the way of, of it and at this point what does it matter who was right who was wrong i absolutely know 100 percent that i was right <laughs> <laughs> i know but, but it has gotten but it just got in I the mean, way ruining relationships and then when it comes to the point where someone a life is now gone right wow right the gravity of that is pretty great you're like that's when you realize, was it really worth it? Did yeah. it really matter that much? Yeah. But in the moment, we're so passionate about it. And I don't know, I don't recall a time when there's been so much passion and attention. Right. And anyway, I'm sorry for the loss of your friend. And I'm sorry that you guys were at odds when it happened. And I'm sure you were a bright light in her world up until that point. So, yeah, it is. I And what it, it's, what, it, it's what is left for us to do about it? Like, because the, the, the. I think it's unethical to ask people who are hurt by these policies to be to are injured by these policies to like turn the other cheek and like just go with it and they don't you know and, like when is it their turn to like drop what they're doing right like why are we beholden to this loud religious minority they're a minority they're not by any means the majority of the country like there's like no one they're like really really on the outs why am i beholden to the values of like these these people who are like i wouldn't want them in my house like why would i why would i want my government like <laughs> are you, i understand i, I mean they're they've got the megaphone for some yeah. reason i guess more extreme the the more we pay attention, I, I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, so as far as the political landscape in America today, you just feel it's very Divi divided. polarized, divisive. Yeah. And it's it's and it's not I don't think it's the liberals' jobs to fix the conservative party. I think it's conservatives' job to fix their own party. And we know all liberals aren't perfect either. Right. All right. <laughs> let's get real. I, I was going to say, like, I think this is really important what you're doing, Debbie. Deb like, hearing people out, right? Like, talking to them and really, like, listening to them. It's a, What you're doing is incredibly important. I think it, we can all learn, you know, from, from each other. Um, like, it takes Thank a lot you. of guts to put yourself out there. So I'm really a big fan of yours. So. Well, thank you so much. And that makes me feel so good. And it gives me the motivation to keep doing it. I want to hear people's stories. I think there's beauty in all of us. And I think everybody has a story to tell. And you don't even have to be famous because famous people have so many platforms and their stories being heard all the time. Just look at the tabloids. <laughs> you know? So thank you for appreciating it. And last question. What do you most hope for the future of America. Listen, I I'm excited about the future of America. I'm super excited that what just happened in Tennessee with uh, with the 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 youth like marching on on their representatives and demanding to be heard and enough is enough. What's ha what happened in Kansas when they put abortion up to like a like a vote from the state and it was soundly rejected. You know, like over and over there's a real progressive energy. 
listen, let's be straight. The status quo, there will be a backlash and it will be strong. The, the status quo is very vicious. It wants, it, it wants stability more than anything. But there's a lot of energy. There's a lot of young people who know better. There's a lot of, there's a lot of older people too who know that what's going on isn't right. It's not, and, and they won't stand for it. And I'm excited. I mean, if the, if the best that the Republicans can do is some, you know, fat loser who's banging porn stars and then lying about <laughs> it, if that really the best that Republicans can put forward, I'm excited. The future's amazing. <laughs> Young people. They, I'm excited they, too. And especially seeing the youth and, and that they not, have a voice yeah. and that they want to be, you know, they're galvanized. What I'm excited about is there's a real... Um, ability to articulate like an immoral stance. Like I see it with AOC, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Um, I see it with these these men in Tennessee. There's a real, yeah, they see it. They they get how the system work. And there's, I see it with Bernie Sanders. They, they There's the, what we've got is not good enough. We can do better. That number one, over and above all, they're, and they're holding our feet to the fire. They're holding our elected representatives feet to the fire. You say things, you got to mean it. You got to act in a way that like really impacts people's lives. Words are cheap, you know? Well, I, I think Bernie, uh, you know, he's mad as hell and he means it. And he, he means, you know, he, he's passionate. Sure. Um, AOC, passionate. I mean, these people are out there doing what I'm not doing. That's for sure. I can't say I've ever done that. So I, I respect great greatly, you know, people with passion and conviction and, you know, they got, they have their hearts in the right place. Right. I just, uh, I'm beginning to wonder though, is it that we all need to move closer to the middle to find harmony or is it that we need to be I, renegades on the, on the ed- edges? So, so one thing, one thing that I've noticed is like Democrats always do this. Um, they're, they're, I've seen them described before as like they're afraid to take their own side in an argument. And so there's always like, a, a, oh, we need to move to the middle. We need to go moderate. And that's a losing proposition. I've seen it um, when Claire McCaskill in Missouri lost her center, Senate seat to white supremacist Josh Hawley. The mm-hmm. way she lost it was by moving to the middle, right? And she lost to like the worst possible candidate, Beto O'Rourke in Texas, losing to Ted Cruz, right? These Republicans are not moving to the middle and they're winning. The reason they're winning is because they're speaking to the red me and their audience and that, that audience is turning out. It's not by moving to the middle. They're getting, they're getting worse. The, the Democrats need to learn that lesson. They need to elect younger people, people who can articulate positions clearly. They need to take their own side. Yeah, it's controversial to say kids deserve free school lunches. I don't know why it's controversial, but like if, that, if that's the position progressives are taking, then defend it. Yes, it's expensive. Kids are expensive. Who cares? Like, we need kids to be fed, right? So it's kind of like you feel fight fire with fire because we've got these extremes to the right. Like, I don't even want to mention her name. Um, um, you see it when Chris Christie was running against Ron DeSantis in Florida, right? Chris Christie was a warmed over, you know, warmed over leftovers that nobody asked for in the first place. And if you can't beat Ron DeSantis, who are you going to be? Like, I mean, like, and it's a mistake Democrats make over and over again. Oh, we got to go to the middle. No, no. In in my lifetime, okay, since I've been paying attention to presidential politics, I'm here to tell you it's always 
on the Democrat side, it's always been the leftmost candidate that wins. This is from 92 when it was Bill Clinton, Ross Perot, and the older Bush, Bush senior. Bill Clinton won because he was the most left candidate. Okay. When uh, Obama ran against like uh, Hillary first, he won the nomination because he was the leftmost candidate. He went to the national election and won because he was the leftmost in the field, right? Every time the Democrats tack to the center, they lose. I'm thinking Al Gore, they lost. Right. I, that was the first presidential election that I remember when it was Bush versus Gore, and I did not vote. You know why I didn't vote? Because they were both the same to me. Right. Al Gore, he didn't he didn't thrill me. Bush, well, you know, like I'm going to take— So you're not a vote for the lesser of two evils kind of guy? No, 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 absolutely not. Like I, I know what's—I think a lot of people know what's right and what's wrong, and like— and what's wrong is wrong. And like I would never in my lifetime, Republicans have never been serious. I'm not, listen, I'm not married to the Democrats. I would vote for a Republican in a heartbeat if they fielded a candidate that was serious. But just look at my lifetime. They've fielded uh, George Bush, right, Jr., Sarah Palin, right? They fielded Donald Trump. They're not serious. They're not serious candidates. Absolutely. I would never, in my lifetime, I've never voted for a Republican. So I don't think I will. of the Republican politicians out there today, yeah. is there anyone that you would ever consider? This current crop? No. And I'll, and I'll tell you why. Um, because every Republican in office today has had a chance to repudiate Donald Trump. He's, he hasn't been shy about his crimes. He hasn't been like, and instead of calling him out and saying, this is not acceptable, they've made excuses for him. They've let him go from impeachment twice. They've like shielded him from consequence at every opportunity. This is including centrists like uh, Mitt Romney, like uh, the woman up in Maine, like these, they, they tisk tisk and they make a concern face or whatever. But at every opportunity when it counted, they've shielded him from consequence. And because they've acted that way, they've proved they've proven to me that they they are not serious. They're not worth consideration. I'm not saying that there's not some Republican out there that's going to come come to the fore, and, and I would take a real hard look at. But the current crop have proven them that they're they're not serious. You're so right. Well, thank you so much. And um, I asked you more than two questions, even, <laughs> <laughs> even though I said those were my final two. It is an honor to have you here. And honestly, thank you so much for being here. I just knew that I'd love to hear your story. Oh my God, thank you, Debbie. And this episode of Democratic was hosted by me, Deborah Drucker. It was edited by Juan Sanson and produced by Lee Rocker and Chloe Cassins. Thank you to our engineers, Adam Burt and Hunter McKellar for making me sound good. Our amazing music was well, performed was by Amy American Nelson and Kathy girl. Guthrie of Folk You. Be sure to rate and review this episode wherever you listen to podcasts. For more Debracratic, check out debracratic.com and our Instagram at debracratic. That's D-E-B-O-R-A-H Craddock Like Democratic Until next time Political is personal So let's talk about it We've been there We've had it It's all